right? All right. Um, that's good evening, church. Um, as always, I'm honored to be here. I get to kind of teach tonight, get to just share what God put on my heart, um, specifically on this topic, and specifically through Jonah, right? Um, I think it's so cool. Like, Jonah has, has been so, so cool to me from the time we got to hear Brendan preach on Sunday um, on Jonah, and just to the the actually, like, me opening it up, reading it for the first time in a very long time. Jonah has been so cool for me to read. And, and if you haven't done that, I would highly encourage it. I think Jonah is unique um, in, in that it's, like, very narrative. It's a very narrative book in that you can read it like a story. Not all of scripture is like that, right? And so I think it's special. It's four chapters. You know, you can kind of sit down and read it all in one go. And there's so much to kind of be gained from it. And that's, that was why we wanted to... <clears throat> Dive, in, dive into Jonah and, and look at the different elements of his story, right? God's story in Jonah, and ultimately, as we've said time and time again, uh, our journey, right? Our story as well. So, um, with Jonah, right? We, we, we talked last week, and I uh, said a great message of kind of telling us how pride played a role in Jonah's story, right? And we, we really dove into the beginning of Jonah uh, and, you know, what he was called to, what he decided to do. Uh, and what was kind of the outcome of that, right? And how pride played a big role in it. And spoilers, pride, it's going to keep coming up because it's huge, right? Um, pride isn't something that just happened and was done, but it's a part of Jonah's story throughout, right? And so um, another big kind of part of Jonah's story and another big element is the fact of uh, trust, right? Or lack of trust, doubt, right? Whatever we want to kind of think about it. Um, trust is a big part of this story, right? Um, and as I was kind of preparing, I... I just thought about how the word trust can be a buzzword. You know, sometimes in, in faith and Christianity, we have these buzzwords that we throw around. Um, you know, what does that actually mean? What is, you know, are people just using it for this, people using it for that? But I think trust has become a buzzword, just like a lot of things that do, because they have so much influence in our life, right? Um, whether we're talking about, you know, how trust affects our, our daily lives, right? Trusting the people around us, trusting um, in our jobs, or trusting things are going to happen, things that are going to be taken care of, are going to be taken care of, um, you know, aside from us or things like that, or just trust in our decisions, like can we trust on people to do their part so that we can do our part in our decision, or even trust in, in our faith walk, right? It's a big part, and so trust can easily become this buzzword, but I think when we look at it in the practical examples of Jonah, um, it's the farthest thing from the buzzword. It's very real, it's a very practical thing, and it holds a lot of weight, right? So that's what I kind of hope to unravel today and just kind of look at and hopefully cause us to reflect on um, trust in our life, right? And, and most importantly, trust in our, in, in our Father, God the Father, and, and just trust in our faith and how that plays a role in it, right? So pray with me as we kind of get started for today. Uh, God, I just welcome you into this room. Um, I love that we get to worship you through song. I'm so thankful for everybody that participates in that, everyone that contributes just getting to seeing the words, God, that you're a way maker. You make a way for us and you are always working in our favor because you love us so dearly. You are the fire that lights us on the fire to just go out and love people and live lives with purpose, God. And so I just, I just thank you that we get to worship you. We get to worship your name and then we get to learn more about you. God, just thank you so much for Young adults, thank you for this ministry. Thank you for every person in this room. Um, I know I'm encouraged by them simply being here, ready to listen to your word, ready to be in community with people that love you, and ready to serve when called upon God. So I just pray over tonight. 
pray over this word. Pray that it comes directly from you. Um, and that as we dive into our small groups later as well, that this is something that becomes very real to us. That it's not a buzzword that we simply throw around, but it's something that's practical, it's something that's specific, and it's something that we can look at personally, God. Because you are not this distant God, you are not this aura, this identity, you are a personal God, God. So we just thank you for that, and I pray for tonight. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Beautiful. So, um, tonight I want to kind of do a hybrid situation, as Alex did last week, of reading from Scripture. Because, like I said, I think Jonah is really unique in that it is, for me, it's one of those books you can pick up, you can read, and you can understand what's going on. Sometimes that's not quite the case, right? Sometimes you have to read uh, into things, or you have to know what this means, or know, like, really deep context, or historical norms and cultural norms for us to really understand what's going on. But Jonah's a bit different, right? Um, and so when it came to reading and kind of preparing, I think that it, it was a little different in something that I wanted to, to read directly from, right? So today I'm, I'm really going to be um, reading from different parts of Jonah, but if you guys want to open up or just take notes, it's going to be really some sections in Jonah 1, um, a lot of Jonah, Jonah 2, all of Jonah 2, I'm going to read all of Jonah 2 to you, uh, <laughs> and then a little bit of Jonah 3, right? Um, leaving Jonah 4 for Nick, who's going to talk next week. Um, absolutely. But there's a lot to be seen and a lot to kind of unpack in each different part of Jonah's story, right? And so I just want to kind of dive in and talk about where we see this idea of trust in Jonah or the lack of trust, right? Because it's not, uh, it's not you know, unfortunately, a story that's just like, oh, wow, this person had so much trust and look at what happened. It's like, oh, there was no trust. There was some trust. There was no trust. There was some trust. But I think that makes it better, right? Because... In our lives, we're going we're gonna to kind of see, we're going to talk about, we're, in, unfortunately, again, like we said, maybe fortunately, I don't know, depends how you look at it, we're not going to ever be 100% on that, right? We're not ever going to be 100% trusting, but we're going to have waves. So, with Jonah, right, I wanted to start by just kind of a clear example of Jonah having a lack of trust, and that comes right from chapter one, right? As we learn, <clears throat> Jonah kind of decided to bail on what God was calling him to do. Right? So if we just start from Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying for the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God called him to a calling. Right? He called him to do something and... He said, nope, <laughs> right? He didn't, like, just avoid it. He didn't just, like, make excuses. He literally took action to work against that calling, right? And so if that's not doubt, if that's not a lack of trust, I don't know what is, right? Right from the beginning, he doubted that what God had called him to was right, what it was supposed to happen, and what he was going to do, right? Um, <clears throat> and as we, you know, read and kind of read it in Scripture last week, Literally running in the opposite direction, God bring, you know, brought upon a storm to the ship that he was on. And it took a lot for him to kind of realize what was going on, right? Um, when, the, when the storm hit and the ship was in the middle of the storm, Jonah was actually asleep, right? It tells us in scripture that he was asleep. Um, and the sailors said to each other, okay, come on, let's cast lots, right? Let's essentially figure out who is responsible for this. And it landed on Jonah. And Jonah said, okay, this is me. Right? They had to awake him. Uh, and he said, this is me. This is my fault. 
I worship God and this is because of me, because I ran away from my calling, right? And so he says, the only thing that I know that's going to bring peace here is if you toss me over, right? And these people did not want to, to do this, right? It says that, that they actively tried to sail back to shore, right? And it was fruitless. They were not able to do that. And he said, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And instead, the men did what they could to row back to land, but they could not. And the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Right? And so they ended up sending him out. Right? And as Jonah is sinking into the Mediterranean Sea, right, um, and reflecting on what's going on, reflecting on his circumstances and where he's at, that's when there's a glimpse of trust, right? And so in chapter two, um, we do see a glimpse of trust in that Jonah finally surrenders, right? He says, I am, I literally have no power, right? I'm in the ocean, I'm sinking, and I'm going to call out to God to save me, right? And so I did want to read um, chapter two for you guys, because it th I think it is a glimpse in the story of where Jonah trusted in God's one call, and he surrendered his life and said, okay, I'm about to do what, what you are going to do through me, and I believe that you are the only path to salvation, right? So if you guys want to read, it's chapter two with me, um, <clears throat> and it's Jonah's prayer. So now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, and he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I haven't been banished from your sight. I'm sorry, I, <clears throat> I said, I have been banished from your sight. And yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought me life from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, um, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Right? Jonah declared that salvation comes from the Lord, and he vowed to do good by God's calling. Right? This was this glimpse of trust that, you know, that Jonah showed, and God redeemed him from it. Right? God saved him and literally delivered him. It says that the fish spat him up, right? Spat him out into dry land where he could go and do that mission. So did Jonah kind of like eagerly jump into action and, and was he like, hey, I'm going to go preach this message. I'm going to do what God said. Not exactly. <laughs> the, the message that, that scripture tells us that Jonah preached said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was it, right? That was the, that was the, the, the just like joyful, eager message that he was called to pray. I mean, called to give. Um, and so even though we saw this glimpse of trust with Jonah, as soon as he was free, as soon as he was redeemed and saved, that doubt started to creep in, 
right? He went, he did what he said, what he had vowed to do, and he preached the message, right? But it doesn't give you this, this inkling, this belief that Jonah truly believed it was going to come to pass, right? Again, that message was 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He didn't really believe, doesn't really seem like he believed based on his actions that it was going to happen. But the Ninevites turned, right? That's what we read in, <clears throat> in chapter 3, right? Jonah goes to Nineveh, he preaches the message, and it says that the Ninevites took on a fast. They took on a fast. They took off all their, their royal robes and royal clothing, and they put on sackcloth as a, uh, as a symbol that they were sacrificing to God and they were turning over a new leaf, right? And so what do we see from that, right? Do we see Jonah excited that he was a part of God's work and a part of God's mission of saving these people? No, right? Jonah chapter 4 is about Jonah being angry that this had happened, right? And we touched on it and how pride was all a part of that. But even in the midst of him surrendering and in the midst of working through that, there was still doubt, right? There was doubt that it was actually going to happen. There was doubt that what God did do and the repentance that these people felt was the right thing to happen, right? And like I said, Nick's going to be touching on anger and how this fits into the story next week, but it really is a picture of this person that is without trust, with trust, without trust, trust. And it's made easy, it may be easy from our perspective to look at Jonah and say, you know, seriously, man? Like, you, <laughs> you're literally in the ocean, you're literally sinking, and you've been saved via a fish, right? Um, like, this is very clearly from God, very clearly delivered from God, and we're still doubting, right? And so it's easy from our perspective to say that, but in reality, that's, that's our experience, right? That's the human experience, and it's something that whether we can look at this extreme and relate to the extreme or just the pattern of doubt and trust and doubt and trust, uh, it's something that we can look at as a part of not just Jonah's faith journey, but I think all of our faith journey. Doubt and, and trust are both a part of the human experience and both a part of our faith journey with purpose, right? So <clears throat> as we do doubt and as we do have a lack of trust in our lives, really the question is how, how do we deal with it, right? What is it that we do? Do we just let it fester and let it eat away at us to the point where you know, this doubt overcomes our belief? Or is it something that we dive into, that we reach out for help, that we seek wise counsel, that we look for wisdom from God's scripture and from the people that God has entrusted, right? That's, that's where it comes up. So as I was kind of reading this, I, I feel like I felt like I saw three specific areas that, that trust you know, was big in this story. Um, and the first one is, is trusting God's appointment, right? I think with Jonah... From the very beginning, like we said, he had a calling, right? God called him to go to Nineveh to preach this message, and he refused it, right? He, didn't, he said, nope, <laughs> that's not me. Um, I, I don't think that I'm, I'm the person to do this, um, whether we thought initially it was because of fear or as we find out later that he had great disdain for these people. He said, no, that's not, that's not right for me, right? Or we even look at the story of Moses in the Old Testament too and delivering people from Egypt, he said, I can't speak, I'm not, you know, who am I to go and lead these people out of Egypt? There's so many examples of this, guys, and, and I don't know about you guys, but it's something that I struggle with as well, is just trusting that sometimes when God calls me to something, I'm the right person to do it, right? I make excuses for myself and say, no, you know, I'm not, I'm not there yet, or I can't do it because of this reason. You know, I can't go talk to that person because it's, 
going to make my relationship awkward here or it's going to be shamed, you know, shamed upon or it's going to be frowned upon by this person or this entity, right? And so it can be very easy for us to trust God's calling in our life, but it's something that as we see in Jonah, when he actually stepped into that calling, even if for a second, God delivered and God worked, right? And God, you know, was working through that calling. Another very, very important part is the idea of trusting God's timing. And this one's massive for me, and it's something I know we've talked about before. But Jonah was trying almost everything in his power to stall, right? He wasn't, like I said, just avoiding it and staying put. But he was going in the opposite direction of his calling, right? And so he's saying, okay, I'm going I'm to get far away so that this is harder and harder for me to come back to. But God took control of the timing, right? And his timing was best. Because even if he was thrown into the sea, God kept him in the fish for three days and three nights for a reason, right? There's all sorts of illusions you can kind of think about in comparison to Jesus uh, and the outcome of where that comes from. But his timing was best, right? And when he went and preached that message and said, Nineveh, you have 40 days, right? Or else you're going to be overthrown. Those 40 days, right? Jonah may have been saying that like, hey, haha, 40 days, that's all you got, right? Good luck with that. But that's exactly what God had said, right? And God used those 40 days to allow Nineveh to repent of their ways and turn, right? Turn from their wickedness and turn towards God. So, you know, trusting in God's timing is a massive part of our faith walk because we have so much pride, right? We have so much pride and it's, it's, it's easy for us to think, okay, that may be a part of my plan, that may be my calling, but that's, you know, way farther down the line. Or, you know, right now it's too early, I can't do that, uh, I'm not ready. Um, or even the opposite of it, right? I want that to happen now, I can't wait for a few years. I can't wait for that to come later. I need that to be now, right? And so with Jonah, he, at many, many times in his life, rebelled against God's timing, but it was always God's timing that ended up being best for the situation. Um, and the last one is just the overall theme of trusting God's plan, right? Even at the very end of this entire journey and this entire walk, that Jonah's been in a ship, he's been in the waters, he's been in the belly of the fish, he's been saved from that, he's you know, gone and preached this word, and he's seen people turn and repent. At the end of his story, Jonah's still found unsatisfied, right? Even angry at what God is doing, right? He didn't trust that God's plan of saving the Ninevites through redemption and allowing them to be saved was right, right? He says, we're the chosen people. We're, we, we're who decide, you know, we're the ones who deserve grace, not these people, right? And so trusting just sometimes that God's plan for our lives is right, right? Whether that involves the timing, whether that involves a specific calling is absolutely huge, right? We have, to, we have to rest in the fact that we serve a good God, a God who is working in our favor, and a God whose plan is ultimately what's best for us, whether that's exactly how we expect it to be or whether it's completely opposite what we expect it to be, right? We can rest on the hard truth that our God is good and that his plan will prosper, right? Um, but that's huge, okay? That's, that's really the big, the big picture for me. I really like that this is also mentioned throughout Scripture. And Matthew chapter 12, this is going to kind of be the last piece of Scripture I read for you guys. But in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 and 40, the Pharisees, the religious leaders and religious, like, you know, people of the time wanted to challenge God, right? They wanted to challenge Jesus, um, and trick him and say, okay, you know, we're going to get him to say something he's not meant to. 
or, or you know, he's, he may have done all these things and we may have heard of all these miracles and good things he's doing on earth, but we haven't seen it, right? We want to test him. We want to see it for ourselves. And so some, it says in, again, Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 and 40, uh, it says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He said, I don't need to show you a sign. From hundreds and years before, right, the time of Jonah, someone that the Pharisees would have been very familiar with, and very familiar with the story of spending three nights and three days in the, in the fish, fish's stomach. He says, you get the sign of Jonah, and I'm going to spend three days in the earth. And we know what came later. Jesus died for our sins on the cross because of his love for us. And he was put in a tomb for three days and three nights and rose from the dead. He fulfilled his sign. And he said, that's the only sign you need. The fact that we have a God that died for us, that loved us so much to take our sin, our blame, that while we were against him, he still died for us. That's the only sign we need. Now, it doesn't make it easy for us all the time, but in reality, coming straight from the words of Jesus, that should be the only sign we need, right? There's a lot of practicality to this. And, and like I said, those three reasons and those three areas of trust, I think, are, are big ones for us to reflect on. Are we trusting God in our appointment, in our calling? Are we trusting God's timing? Are we trusting God's plan? Um, I, was <laughs> I, I thought of something as, as I was kind of writing this, um, and it sounds kind of ridiculous at first, but I just thought of how accountability played a role in trust. Um, and it sounds backwards at first because you're like, okay, you can't make someone trust something. You can't make somebody trust, you know, that you're going to do this. You can't make someone trust in God. You can't make someone trust this. But I think accountability can play a role in our trust. And that can simply be with a matter of reminding us of God's truth. Um, in high school, some of my friends, who are in this room as well, um, and some other friends, had this very dumb thing where we would send each other very stupid things that we would pretend to do but not actually do. Whether it was like, type out a text and be like, bet. And they'd be like, guts. Do you have the guts? Do you have the guts to send it? Do you have the guts to do that? Hey, bet I won't jump over this pond. Guts? Do you have the guts? Right? And I was just thinking, you know, what if when we're challenged and our trust is challenged and we know because we've spoken with people, we've been open about our doubt and we've been open about the things that we struggle with with the people in our lives the people who love us the people who love god like we do what if we could say hey trust you know do you do you have the trust have you seen god move have you seen god do this in your life before do we have enough trust to follow that calling do we have enough trust to be patient or to step into something now when god's calling you to it now do you have the trust that, that God's plan is gonna to come to be and that we are simply one piece of this grand equation, I think that would be a beautiful sight to see, to encourage ourselves to trust in God. 
and to trust in those different facets. But that starts with being open about our struggles. That starts with being open about our sin. That starts with being open with what we're being challenged, right? And so I hope we can kind of get into that with small group as we start tonight. So if you guys will pray with me. God, I thank you for teaching us and teaching us with the story of Jonah. Knowing that your scripture inspired God and breathed by you, Lord. Knowing that Jonah's struggle, Jonah's experience is so like ours, so different from ours, but so like ours in so many different ways, God. It's encouraging to know that you showed him grace time and time again. You saved him from the depths of the sea. You used him to bring the Ninevites to repentance. And even after his anger, Lord, you showed him grace again. And you continue to love him and continue to teach him because of your great love, Lord. And so I just thank you, God, for showing us that amount of grace. I thank you for giving us chance after chance after every situation that we doubt you in, you still take us back. You graciously show us glimpses of your plan and glimpses of your calling and glimpses of your timing. And I pray that we can dive into that, Lord, that we can rest on your truth and more openly trust in you and more openly share our struggles and share our challenges of trust so that we may encourage each other and spur each other on to trust more, to trust deeper, and to trust greater, Lord. We thank you for your son's death on the cross that even makes trust an option, God. So in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. 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 Amen.